When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to iFanboy Talksplode with Will Dennis. Hey, this is Josh Flanning with iFanboy's Talksplode. Today I'm talking to editor Will Dennis. You may know Will's name from his years, 15 years, at Vertigo, D.C. Uh, I mean, he was involved with some of my favorite comics of all time at maybe the best time uh, to have comics come out. Scalped, Why the Last Man, 100 Bullets, uh, DMZ, just great books all around. He now works as a freelance editor on uh, some of the sort of bigger titles uh, that are going on in indie comics, Noctera, uh, the Good Asian, Undiscovered Country, We Have Demons, there's a lot of them. Um, and we talk for quite a while about his time at Virgo and, uh, and and what it is for him to be an editor and what that means. And uh, really fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Hey, this is Josh Lanigan from iFanboy.com. I'm here with Will Dennis. Uh, we had a slight false start, so this will be a little bit insincere. But hey, how are you, Will? How you doing? <laughs> Good. This will be the edited version. I, yeah. I can I can fix all my answers that I yeah. It'll be totally good. half of the first answer. It's fine. Yeah, it's good. I'm good. So you you are you are a professional comic book editor. I normally well, have writers and artists on here. No, no, you're as professional as it gets in this game, buddy. <laughs> you, you don't get to pull it that. I start way. throwing around these descriptors so willy nilly. But yes, <laughs> I, I guess I am a professional comic book editor. Well, um, how? Where did you first, uh, you know, get into comics? Was was it a thing that that you were into as a kid, or did it come along later? Um, yeah, I mean, as a kid, I was I was way into comics, but you know, that's going back decades, obviously, and I, you know, for years, just collected them. But that was like newsstand days, you know, and then it started to come into comic shops. And I grew up in Ithaca, New York, and there was a comic shop that opened there very early in the sort of direct market scene you know and it's it's still there comics for collectors which you know um we know and love but uh that's yeah. that's the shop where everyone in iFanboy, you know became yeah, exactly. friends together so yeah that's <laughs> that's a that's a historic scene yeah yeah it started uh, it started on the commons which is like the outdoor mall and ithaca walking mall it was a dungeons and dragons place and it was upstairs it was called i think dragon's lair or something and the guy who now owns comics for collectors owned it for years, like had just some comics in the space that he was selling. And so we'd go in there to play D&D &D, and then 
there were long boxes and stuff, but this is like late seventies I'm talking. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, early eighties, you know? And yeah. And then from there, yeah. And then, yeah. And it's some, in a weird thing. Then later when I was in college, like I went to Ithaca college, I grew up in Ithaca and I was working there part-time like in the late eighties. So like 86, 87, 88 in there, I was working, um, part-time at the shop for credit, of course, which is, you know, always, always nice. But back then, you know, credit was great because it would go so far. You know, you'd get like, <laughs> you make enough money, you could buy every comic in the shop twice <laughs> over, you know. But yeah, and then I, I, I moved to New York like so many people do and had a lot of jobs and good ones and bad ones. And and then I got this opportunity to co- go work for Shelly Bond. Well, she was Shelly Roberg then, but Shelly Bond now, who I had gone to Ithaca College with and introduced her to comics, which she famously tells a story and um so i entered i got her into comics and then she returned the favor by hiring no me idea. As she went assistant. to ithaca too yeah huh. like yeah we met in a god it was like an eight o'clock screenwriting class we were both in the communication school and it was like a screenwriting class i think i swear it met at eight o'clock in the morning or That's, something and seems she was there of course <laughs> she was there of course like every you know like just ready to roll notebook out you know earnest and i was like crawling from the wreckage of like the night before and so yeah so yeah we got to be friends in there and um and yeah then she got hired by kamiko when she left she left at the college and she got hired by kamiko which was then in philadelphia when bob shrek and and diane schutz were like working there and then um yeah and then karen like poached her to come when they Karen Berger when they were launching Vertigo like in the early 90s so she moved to New York and started working at Vertigo like you know as soon as they started Vertigo and then yeah and she got in touch with me in this very weird kind of random way like you're like 99 or something and mm-hmm. we reconnected and she hired me as her assistant and but I mean I was already pretty old by then I think I was like in my late 20s early 30s by then and um which is kind of old starting as an assistant, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it just immediately felt like it could be like a good place to sort of, you know, have a lot of things that I'd always been interested in and you needed all these skills in different areas, you know? And, and I think as I was saying before that, you know, all the crap that parents and teachers and everybody tell you are, you know, it's going to be a waste of your time you know, watching movies, reading comics, horror novels, all that crap. Like all that stuff is like the bread and butter of a, comic book editor you know what did you go to school for was it tv radio or film um, or yeah i was in the tv radio school at at um at ithaca college and then yeah i came to new york and i was just doing kind of random stuff and then i was working for like the four or five years before i got hired i was doing like at this pr firm like a boutique pr firm that was doing independent film in new york and i mean that was kind of a cool time because in the late 90s you know, everybody yeah. had a movie and everybody was trying to go to Sundance and everybody was trying to strike it rich. And um, so we were working with a lot of interesting companies then, you know, Sony Pictures and Miramax and all these different, you know, um, things. And, yeah, we repped like the Lincoln, what was it, Lincoln Square, I want to say, the guy who the guy who owned that small like art house, like up across from Lincoln Center, that he was basically the first guy who imported all of the sort of French new wave films and everything. Like he was like the sort of, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like there's even a scene and we've seen in Annie hall or something where they're going to a movie at the theater. And I, he was this really interesting old dude. And 
you know, we did all his publicity and yeah, so it was pretty cool, but it was, it was pretty rough business too, you know? And so when I came over to DC, I was like pleasantly surprised at how, you know, like pretty, everyone's pretty nice and enthusiastic and it was just like a good, good place to be. It's funny. It's very funny to me because that gives you an idea about how rough that part that was like working in film at that time, that coming over to the comics part, you're like, Oh, this is way better. Oh my God, it was. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, you would do screenings. Like I'd set up screenings in all those screening rooms in like Midtown and you know, like the Weinsteins would show up, other people, and they were just nightmares, you know, screaming right. at you because, oh, my seats, this is my seat. And, you know, all that, even the hotshot journalists from like the New York Times and all that stuff, like they were, you know, there were some really cool, interesting people and obviously like huge tastemakers and stuff, but, um, nah, not the nicest people at certain times, you know, so yeah. throwing stuff and, you're getting all I got to deal with is Karen Berger and Paul Levitz. It's like, sign me up for that. That is better. Yeah, I worked in you know I worked in Hollywood for a little while after I got out of the school and you know like nothing mm-hmm. good, like low game shows stuff like that. But sure. it was amazing to me that those egos existed at every level, and it just depended right. on which room you were in, who the biggest person in the room was. Right. And uh, it's yeah. like it's yeah, it's, yeah. It was and it's so consistent. No, I know. And the sad part was, you know, you're working in indie film and repping films going to festivals mostly. Mm-hmm. So we would take guys who came in and people like I think we work with like Todd Phillips and a bunch of different people. And they would come in as these very earnest, excited, young mm-hmm. filmmakers, you know, and then they take a movie to Sundance or, you know, wherever the film festival was. And you could just see it like over the course of a weekend, they would turn into just like just really? shit bags, like the worst. <laughs> Yeah, and then so, yeah, particularly if they sold the film, right? And then it was like, you know, Monday morning, the variety, like they've suddenly got some big deal, and it was like they wouldn't. I mean, they were just—I don't know how like R-rated your show is, but it was definitely see like, whatever you'd it like. It was yeah, it was really sad to see this transformation, like over and over and over, cutting each other out of deals, people you made the movies with. I mean, it was really—it's—it was pretty brutal and i was just like oh i gotta get out of this you know so i was i was pretty happy whenever i hear these people talking about comic book horror stories i'm i just like have to kind of laugh because i'm like yeah you guys have no idea but <laughs> and then i showed up in a suit my first day of work at dc and just got mocked <laughs> relentlessly that was the last day i wore a suit 20 years ago so were you uh were you current were you still paying attention to comics you know like during that period or or had you sort of come back um, around to it yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, I was, yeah, I, I was still pretty steady. There was a shop, um, Cosmic Comics. It was on 23rd yes. Street, like upstairs. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. We went to that until right up until it closed, I think. Yeah, and they had a good, like, like credit program. Like, every $100 you spent, you got, like, $20 in credit or something. So it was pretty, it on was that, pretty on good. On that People handwritten cool. notebook. Yeah, right, exactly. Oh. It was, like, just like a spiral notebook with, like, your name and stuff. And um, Yeah, and I remember, funnily enough, like, you know, eventually I started working on a hundred bullets, which is the book that is like kind of made, I think, you know, made most of my career go after that. But the summer before I got hired at DC, they had launched a hundred bullets. And I remember standing in the shop and like buying the book, mm-hmm. um, off the stands as just a fan. You know, this was like three or four months before Shelly reached out to me and, you know, and then, yeah, like within a f- couple of weeks, like Brian came to visit the offices and, you know, Azarello, and it was like a whole, it was just, that was kind of weird, you know, so that was when I would start to kind of be a little bit fanboy, geeky, you know, these, compared to like the movie stuff, like I couldn't get away from that fast enough, but meeting some of these comic book people that I was like fans of was, 
always kind of a thrill, you know? So when you got, you know, you got into DC, and, and that's your first job in comics, really. So, like, how much did yeah. you, like, what was the learning curve like in sort of thinking about comics from a reader-fan perspective to thinking about them from a professional perspective? Like, um, what, what had to change, what you yeah, have to learn? Yeah, it's... I mean, it's definitely a steep curve, but I mean, at least in those days, and I, I mean, I feel bad now. I don't think I, I see editors getting, you know, blamed for stuff, or I see some of the ways that I, even by the end, I was operating in DC and some of the struggles that editors were having. I mean, there was a very robust training period, oh. you know, essentially. Like she- Shelly, I mean, I don't know if you've ever talked to Shelly, but I mean, Shelly is, she's a, can be a real hard ass about a lot of stuff, right? But, just kind of old school in that respect. But I mean, she would literally as busy as she was, like we would say, particularly early on, like, you know, it'd get to be four o'clock on a Thursday and she'd be like, okay, we're going to sit down now for an hour and I'm going to show you how to mark up, you know, colors, you know, like, cause in, that, in those days, everything was still hand mm-hmm. done. I mean, we used to get all the boards in, we'd get the color guides all done on like, um, you know, linen paper and it was all done with like inks, like right on the paper and you'd have to make all these notes for separators and stuff like that, you know? So, um, it was just starting to transform into the digital space, but, um, yeah. And there was actually like, I mean, she would literally set aside time for like, okay, here's how you balloon pages or here's how you do this. Or, you know, in the early days, like when I would write emails to freelancers, like, like, you know, I would sometimes vet them past her or she'd be on all the stuff. And then she'd sometimes critique your, your, you know, it wasn't always fun, but like at times, you know, in the moment, it's not always fun. But in hindsight, I realized like I actually got a fairly good training system, which I, I, I think a lot of times now it seems like, you know, they're just kind of thrown to the wolves and then they're, like they're just putting out fires, you know, like it was always, I mean, we had very, I mean, I was fortunate because I got there, I got there, Cliff Chang had been working there as an assistant and he had moved on. He was just leaving. So I basically got his job. And so like Stuart Moore was still there. Axel Alonzo was still there. Shelly was still there. Um, of course, Karen. And then, so, you know, I got to kind of work with all these different people, people who'd been around the business a long time and everybody was full of, you know, axioms and sort of advice and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, and I got a lot of really good advice from from everybody, from Axel, from Shelly, from Karen. I mean, Karen would let you sit in and, you know, talk at meetings and talk to stuff. And um, had yeah, you, it, was, it, was, it was pretty great. Had you thought about comics as a business or professionally prior to your, your coming there? Like, had you thought about them... I mean, it didn't sound like you thought no. about his career at all. So it was a complete. No. Break. And I should have, because I remember when Shelly left the Ithaca College, she came back the next year for Ithacon, and I was still, like, she was a year ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And she was already working at Kamiko, and she came back as, like, a Kamiko representative. And we went out to lunch or something, and she was telling me all about it and, like, how great it was and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And sort of admonishing me for like having to get my like shit together, what my career, you know, like whatever. She's kind of always dispensing the career advice and stuff. But, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, she was already like already off to the races on that, you know, this like, so I, I should have, but then, yeah, I don't know, you know, like stuff just happens and you just, you know, life goes on, you know, and suddenly it's like 10 years have gone by and you're like, what, what am I doing? So, yeah, I mean, I was lucky cause it just, it felt like it was, well, this could actually be a career as opposed to just a job, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
I'm wondering, like, um, when you you start working on comic books professionally, how did it change your perspective of the medium? I mean, it had been just something that you had read and enjoyed, you know, like, and then you sort of have to learn how it works the other way. Did that, did that, like, how did that work? And, like, how did you feel about comics afterwards? Was it the same way or was it? No, no. I mean, I've not, I haven't felt the same way, you know, in 20 years, sadly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, that's the biggest problem. It's like everybody from the outside is like, Oh, you've got your dream job. And it really is like my dream job and like going to work at DC. Like, I mean, if they were still in New York and all that stuff hadn't changed, like I would still happily be there. I mean, as much cool stuff as I've done since I left, like I love that job. I love the people. I love the place. I mean, it was as messed up as any other job, but I'd had the fortune of having other jobs. Like I said, in like all these very dysfunctional and you know, really kind of some, some situations that were kind of ugly and you've seen a lot of this stuff. And you were just, you know, so the people will complain about a place like D.C. Oh, this and I was like, you guys have no idea, you know, because a lot of people who work there, like that was the only job they'd ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, Karen Berger, a lot of the people around here, like she never worked anywhere else. Like, so they thought, you know, everything they thought, everything was just they saw it all through that lens, you know, so the things that, you know, um, so that was kind of, you know, that was kind of interesting. But, yeah, I mean, it immediately it immediately sucks all the fan stuff out of you and and not 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 in the way that um not not in the way like oh i met this person and he's such a jerk and i can't i hate comics now kind of thing it was just that like when your passion or your hobby or your the thing that you use to escape you know or just relax reading and stuff becomes your job it just you know that's the sad part i mean that's the big loss kind of over the decades is just like the business of it's difficult like i don't really reach for comics like in my free time sure. often you know and and even when i do it's very hard to set aside um you know that that part of your brain that's looking at it you're always kind of oh this is cool or this or you're seeing mistakes or you're wondering oh this i should this is someone i should reach out to i mean I, you know that kind of i mean now it's a little different because i it's not quite the same where you know where like when i worked at dc it was really like trying to find new talent trying to find people you know get new projects getting pitched stuff all the time like now it's sort of the 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 tail sort of wags the dog a little bit you know when you're a freelance editor in terms of in that respect like i'm not really in the you know kingmaker seat i used to be in you know but um yeah i mean you know that's that's a little bit of a bummer that you have to sort of it's difficult to maintain that you know you just find yourself reading it to kind of stay current with the industry or who's doing what but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's and you know, I mean, the only good thing about that is like sometimes when you do read a book or a comic that you're like, what well, find yourself just getting lost in reading it yeah. like you used to. But then you know, that's usually something that I find is like, oh, well, this seems to really be working. Like, who are these people? You know, mm-hmm. and then you then you might go back and sort of look at who's doing that and why do you you know feel like that way about it? You know, it's. I mean, it's but, one of the things that you know we we've talked about comics professionally and semi professionally for decades now and. I mean, the other side of it is I think that when something is really great, like you understand why, you know, and it, it, it's just like, oh, this is doing it right. Now, sort of the the middle of the road stuff, you know, eh, it's fine. It's comics or whatever. But right. I think there's that there's that bit of the craft that when you get to appreciate that, that really becomes a special sort of thing about that's 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 tends to be the way that I can stay interested in them, I think, is that. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a cadre of like writers, writers and artists, artists and that kind of thing. You know, I mean, I definitely have my favorites who are people who never really don't necessarily move the needle in terms of 
you know, the sales or the big tentpole events or all that, you know, they're not on social media, you know, yapping about every goddamn thing that they do. But like, you know, you look at the work that they do and you're just like, yeah, this person really like they know their craft. They're working to get better all the time. You know, so, yeah, there's definitely those people. And, you know, those are the people that the people that I really respect and spend time with in the industry. Like those we tend to often have, you know, commonalities in the people yeah. that we all really admire, you know. Yeah, definitely. So talk to me about, I mean, you entered the industry at a time and in a place where, you know, as far as I am concerned, you know, sort of shifted the way that that comics got made. We're talking about the late 90s-ish, you know, Mm -hmm. so comics is not in good shape at that point, you know, trying to figure out what it is after the crash, you know, and to me, the way that I always look at it is Vertigo starts doing this thing that, to me, then Marvel Knights follows suit and then blah, blah, blah. Everything sort of falls into place. But like, what did it, did it have a sense at Vertigo, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, like something, you know, special was happening there? Did it feel, you know, was it feel, you know, like things were just clicking or, or was it kind of surprising to look at in hindsight? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a little surprising from the state. Like literally, the I got hired in October of 1999 and they had an all hands, like end of the year sort of meeting, you know, before the holidays and stuff. And it was just like the worst thing you've ever heard. It was literally <laughs> like, like I literally came home and I was because I'd been working, like I said, I'm in this film publicity. And, you know, the, for as bad as the business can be there in terms of dealing with some of the people, you know, the money is really good. So, I mean, I took a gigantic pay cut to take this job, you know, and, and like I said, at an age that's really past the age of, you know, of like an assistant editor in comics, you know? So I, I was, I literally came home from this meeting where they were just like talking about, you know, where the sales were and where the books were and they didn't know. And I, I'm just like sick, like, Oh my God, like, what did I do? Like, how did I, you know, like what just happened? You know, I remember like having to talk to my wife and explain like, yeah, well, you know, it's great, but did you have so kids that was, by that point? No, okay. thank God, I didn't have any kids then. But the um, yeah, so that was suddenly like, oh, maybe I can get my old job back. Like, I mean, it literally was at that point because it was just sort of like, ooh, you know, like they they were really. But I mean, now like a lot of the numbers they were throwing around were numbers that <laughs> like people would cut their right arm off, or, you know. But it's like, you know, creatures selling. It's only selling, you know. 80,000 copies or something you're just like oh my god you know it's like the sky is falling but yeah so then it, but yeah it definitely did I mean I had been you know the very first book I ever got a credit on was The Dreaming which was like a Sandman spinoff mm-hmm. which in hindsight of the work that I've ended up doing is kind of hilarious but um, yeah I mean it was a cool it was definitely a cool place I mean Axel was trying to push all these other kinds of books, you know, like he was trying to move, find new books that were outside of the sort of dark fantasy, you know, wheelhouse that had been the vertigo staple for quite a lot of years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that was cool. It seemed like a lot of stuff. And then there was just a lot of, they, there was a lot of changes happening. Like the deal started and they were trying to shake up a lot of stuff downstairs. I would say downstairs cause we were, uh, we were on the floor above like right. the DCU guys. And, um, yeah, you know, and so and they seem to be pretty liberal with a lot of like everything was kind of in flux. So in 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 some ways that's just terrifying, but in other ways like they're not really paying as close attention, you know, to that stuff while they're trying to put out these bigger fires. Like, so we were able to get away with a lot of shit. Like, I mean, I literally had a list. I remember going through like the DC. There was a library at DC, and it was all these hardbound editions of everything. And 
they had that who's who, which was like the mm-hmm. the list. It was literally like a dictionary or encyclopedia of all the comic book characters, and and we had essentially appropriated them from the library and gone through them and just like post-it noted every kind of throwaway, stupid, weird character that you could think of. You know, like you could just go through like it was crazy. It was like the losers. It was like Space Cabbie. It was El Diablo. It was like all these kind of characters. And then going to Paul and Dan at that point and saying like, hey, none of these characters are you doing anything with. Like, and, and so I was able to generate like a list of like all of these kind of loser characters, um, the, including the losers, ironically, that um, that they just were like, yeah, do whatever. You know, we want to maintain the, the copyrights on all that stuff, you know, which was a thing. Occasionally, like stuff would start to come up for renewal. So they'd put out like just a random, you know, like could you see an unknown soldier or something appear? Like it was usually that was usually the reason. And, um, yeah, so I was able to kind of do that. So like there was, I had a whole short list of stuff. So when I would go talk to writers, new writers, old established writers, whoever, I would say like, you know, Hey, do you have any idea for like this swamp thing spinoff? Or do you have any idea for a, you know, like literally space cabbie? That's the one that always sticks in my mind. It was like a funny one that I remember. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was kind of interesting, you know, in that respect, cause it was a little, there was a lot of change happening, but in those, in the margins there, you were able to get away with stuff. Cause they, you know, like I said, they had much bigger fish to fry than like worrying about what some associate editor of vertigo, like had up his sleeve for, you know, rebooting old characters and stuff. And then, so then it became like a, that became a little bit of a model for how, like Axel did it with Azarello and Riso on that Johnny double miniseries which then he used that to kind of leverage the hundred bullets pitch, you know, cause we'd get these pitches in from people and they were good pitches and you knew they were good pitches, but you know, you're asking the company to take a flyer on, you know, someone they've never heard of or someone with no track record. So it was like, all right, well let them do four issues of such and such. And it doesn't, it's pretty low impact and it's pretty, pretty low risk and they don't own it. And, um, and at that point they weren't even really thinking about like the media potential of a lot of this stuff, which, you know, that sort of came later, of course, but, um, yeah, so it was, it was kind of exciting. There was a lot of cool stuff happening and people's ideas of what vertigo was, were starting to shift between, you know, preacher and a hundred bullets and books like that, you know, started to like move the needle away from kind of more the, the, Hellblazer, Sandman universe kind of stuff. Um, it was, I mean, it was so, a, yeah, that was cool. It was about that time that, as I graduated in college in '99, and it basically I moved to LA at the, at that point, and I remember being the golden apple, and there was one day where like I picked up uh, a, uh, I'm sorry, it was a Hellblazer. It was I, it was Hellblazer in prison, which I think was Azarello's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the yeah, first. That was the, that was the Richard Corbin. That yeah. was the first yeah. one. Yeah, that was the first. That was the first one of the first Vertigo comics I bought. That Transmetropolitan, blah blah blah. And for me, mm-hmm. you know, that was the point where I went, oh, oh, this is this is a different thing than I had. And because I'd been, I, I was out of comics and then came back and I was reading some of the superhero stuff at the time, and it was fun. You know, it was a good time, mm-hmm. but like that solidified everything, which is exactly the sort of time that you started there. Right. And I, I think of all those names who came into comics at that time and it feels like such a different time because you know you know mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I, I i would you'd agree if it it's easier to break in at that point i think it may have been 
Um, mm-hmm. But also just this wellspring of talent that sort of are all mainstays today and they're sticking around. They all sort of showed up at that point, which is mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is a weird like confluence of events and you know those things do tend to happen i mean if you look at all any other kinds of you know film movements or yeah. music movements or whatever it just seems like you get this sort of stuff but but being on the inside of it and you know i was kind of at the tail i mean it was in a weird i was in this weird transitional period like i was at the tail end of the british wave you know the yeah. sort of karen getting you know, Alan and then Neil and the Neil's begetting, you know, Milligan and, you know, all those guys. And then, you know, I was on the, the cusp of like opening it up to like these American, a lot of American talent and kind of moving away from, from a lot of that stuff. And then adding a lot more of these genres like crime and war and, you know, some, some of that sort of stuff that was kind of became my, um, you know, sort of my wheelhouse over there. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It is always weird to look back at the time. I mean, in, in the moment, it didn't. I mean, it felt exciting, and I felt like a lot of stuff was happening, and you know, it was a lot of just kind of go, 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 like all the time. I mean, but um, you know, while you're in the midst of that, like you're not. I mean, I had plans. Like I always had plans. Like I always have a plan, right? Like that's sort of my mantra, and that's sort of what people I think a lot of people appreciate about working with me is that I feel like they feel like I'm always I have like a plan of some kind, you know. And I had plans like going early on about what I wanted it to look like and what I wanted to do and how would I build like this matrix of to be this kind of I don't know empresario sounds like a douchey word, but like you know like being at the center of all of these people, you know, who were creative and then getting them to do the work for me, but then getting them to do the work with each other, that kind of thing. You know, like it was much more that sort of feeling of wanting to be like finding people and connecting them to each other and then just growing out this web of people. I mean, that was definitely part of what I would consider like a design. Like once I started going, you know, like it was really like bringing people in, getting them connected to the other people I was with, getting them to bring in other people so it's that sort of that sort of thing was definitely a that that for on my in my little domain was definitely a part of the plan. Was know? that was that the thing that you liked most about the job? Yeah, and I think it's the thing I was the best at. You know, uh-huh. I mean, I think I think to this day, I think it's still the thing that you know. I mean, I think I was good at that, and I think I was good at navigating the the waters of a place like DC. Like I enjoyed the sort of you know, little finger aspects of, you know, <laughs> sort of managing, you know, cause you were managing all these different departments and these very entrenched ways of doing things and people who had, you know, they would die before like a job opened up there. Right. right. I mean, that was literally like the mortality rate was like essentially the only way somebody got a promotion or got a new job, you know? So you had to really learn, like if you wanted to advance, you had to know like who to, you know, who were your friends, who was really on your side, who could help you move the ball down the field, you know, and who, who wouldn't. And there were people that, you know, really thrived on just being that kind of, you know, like Stanley in the office, like it's five o'clock, I'm leaving now, you know, like go fuck yourself, you know? So it's just like, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think I was good. And that's the thing, honestly, like I miss the most about it. Like I just miss, like, it's not the work. It's like, it's all that stuff, you know, it was just the sort of being in the mix all the time and trying to, trying to get stuff done despite like the efforts of a lot of people or despite the system in a lot of ways, you know I mean? Cause the system isn't particularly set up to, 
you know, take big chances on totally new, you know, a Jason Aaron that like comes like literally over the transom, like cold email, like in, you know, getting his project approved and stuff like that. The system isn't set up for that. I mean, that's not what they're about. So, you know, to try to get those kind of wins despite all that was, you know, still to me, like to this day is like, it's like a big point of like the pride I feel and like the work that I did. I mean, I have a hard time even remembering like half the, like if I go to my website and look at, you know, like <laughs> update the things and I'm like, Oh my God, I worked on this. I worked on that. Like, I mean, there's literally books that I just, some like, like if you wanted me to do like, you know, some career retrospective mm-hmm. and talk about oh, how we did this or made that. I mean, I would be like the worst person to ask for some of that, you know, but, <laughs> but so, yeah, I mean, that was definitely a thing. And, and it was, def- you know, it was finding people and connecting people to other people and, and being sort of at the center of that, um, you know, all those things, you know, it's like fine, you know, when Mark Doyle brings in Scott and I help them get that American vampire put together and get Scott started. But then, you know, introducing him to jock and then they start talking about doing batman and then you know we got to introduce him to mike martz and you know and it's like sort of being in the mix on all that stuff even if it's stuff you don't end up working on like i didn't really care i was just like you know to me like the thrill of that was just to be sort of moving those pieces around on the board and stuff and trying to make stuff like that happen for people what was one of give me one of those projects that you still think about that you're really that you're proud of of sort of getting all those things together well, you know, I mean, that, like, you know, like when S- Scott Snyder and Jock end up doing this huge Batman thing, like just to see two very like vertigo guys yeah, sort of come in the door. And then, you know, I mean, I was sitting at the table like at San Diego at the at the field bar, which is like an Irish pub there, you know, of course, that like everybody sort of goes to. And it was like all those it was like, you know, a couple of the DCU Batman guys, Scott, Jock, me, Doyle like all sitting around this table, like while Scott is like pitching the idea for, you know, whatever ended up being with black mirror, I guess is what it ended up being, you know, like the thing. And it's like, you know, just to see these guys that come in and do this stuff. And then suddenly like, Oh, they're just like blowing up like it, you know, but I'm not going to work on that book. Like there's, it's obvious, you know, like that's not, you know, that that wasn't part of the plan for like us to work on it, you know? So, um, yeah, things like that are definitely, you know, exciting. And were you the guy who, who heard from a random Jason Aaron email? Like, were you the guy who picked that up? Yeah. So it was like me and one other editor who I won't name, but Jason had sent an email to both of us saying, and he had done some weird random thing at Marvel where he'd won some contest. He'd written like a Wolverine, it was like a Wolverine short story or something like that. It was like a thing. And it was, yeah, it was like a contest literally. And, And he sent this email to me and this other editor who was in the DCU and, basically saying like, you don't know who I am, but I have this idea for this Vietnam book. And I just won this contest at Marvel, which in me, the snobby vertigo guy was like, those are, that's points against, you know, <laughs> like, so I'm not like rushing to hire the Marvel Wolverine, you know, like contest winner anytime soon. Um, so yeah. So yeah. And that was the thing. And the other dude didn't respond. And I responded with this, I think the typical sort of, Hey, this sounds cool, but you know, we, we already did some war story stuff with Darth and you know, it's got a very niche audience and it's not really, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, for someone who's unknown and Vietnam and everything else, like we just don't know if it's really going to go. 
and it was just to kind of kiss off, you know, like politely, whatever. And which you're always kind of looking to do because you just had too much stuff to do. So it was like, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I was looking for new people, but at the same time, you're not looking for like brand new people. Right. Usually because I mean, vertigo then at least, I mean, it was like the major league. So it was like, I mean, for that kind of work, like we were the top of the food chain. So there weren't many players coming right out of high school, like going to the NBA, you know? So it was kind of like, yeah, maybe you could take it to so-and-so or whatever. And he was super polite, you know, being the Southern gentleman that he is. And then he, he, he was persistent though. And he sent it and said, Oh, I have this connection to the guy and, you know, I've written it. And if you could just take a look at it and, I don't know. So Catholic Gill, whatever it is, like he sent the script and I, and I downloaded it and, you know, he'll sell the story that like, I didn't respond to him for weeks or months, which I, I don't think that's true, but you know, I'm sure he would know more than I would maybe, but yeah. And then I just, I, I printed it out and I would, I could never read anything in the office because it was just too many distractions. Right. So I would always read on the way home, like either on the subway or read on the weekends, that kind of stuff, like scripts. I wouldn't, you know, and we printed everything out then. There wasn't like, I didn't even have it. You know, I might've had a flip phone or something, but we weren't, you know, you weren't reading stuff on your computer. I didn't have a laptop at home. Like it wasn't, you know, so yeah. So you mean, I printed out like a hard copy of the script and no, I never forget like going, like literally there's a point like on my train ride to Brooklyn where the train comes out of the subway and you're, on over the bridge, you know, and it's like, I don't know why this sticks in my mind, but like, like the hair in my back of my, you know, my arms was like standing up. Like as I read this thing, cause you're always looking for like it to fall apart. You know, you read the right. first page, Oh, this is pretty good. You know? And then you get to the second and you're like, yeah, you know, but you kind of part of you, the sick part of your brain is hoping that it's going to fall apart because then you're okay, great. I can just point to this and be like, ah, I don't know. This isn't really because it's a lot of work, like a new person, a new thing. And I'm looking at like from the inside, like, oh, shit, even if I love this, like the idea that I can get this approved and get this bought, you know, it's like it's a it's a slog. Right. So, I, you know, you're, you're you're part of your brain is always like, ugh, don't do it, you know, but you just couldn't. Re re it was just so good that like I just couldn't help it. You know, like I was just like, yeah. And so then I, and that was a funny project because I, you know, this ended up being the other side of the Vietnam book that he wrote. And then um I knew I couldn't get Karen to approve it because all I had was a script, you know, and it was a long script. It was like a 40 page script or something. And, mm -hmm. and, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to give this to my assistant, let him read it. See if I'm crazy. He read it and came in my office and was like, holy shit. Like, who is this guy? And I was like, I have no idea. I don't know. He just sent this to me cold. So then I was like, sort of, I showed it to him and I don't know, I showed it to somebody else. And then I, Karen's husband was also worked at DC and he was like the creative director, Richard Bruning. And, um, we had a lot of stuff in common, like the kind of stuff we like, crime, movies, shows, like, you know, The Wire, blah, blah, blah. So I, this is a little bit shady, but I gave I started talking it up to him and he was like, oh, can I read it? It sounds really cool. And so he read it and was all excited. And then Karen came to me and said, you know, what is this script that's floating around that everyone but me has <laughs> read? Like, how come you haven't given it to me? And I was like, ah, you know, I didn't think you could read a whole, you know, you don't want to read 40 pages of a script from a totally unknown writer and you know, it's Vietnam and Gar's doing more stories and they don't sell so hot. And, you know, <laughs> I just figured you'd say no, but you know, if you want to read it, you know, it's a little bit of the reverse psychology, you know, that was the thing you have to kind of know how to manage like up in that respect, you know? And, um, yeah. And she read it and I, I like called me from like either getting home or on the way home or something and was like, Holy, sh she's like, you just have to buy this. She's like, don't, 
like, don't worry about it. Like, we'll just figure it out. I don't know who's going to do it, but just buy it. Like, you know, just tell them we're going to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh man, you know, like, that's just, <laughs> but you know, that's sort of, but those are the things like, I don't know how many of those you're going to have like in your career. Right. Yeah. You know, like maybe there's one, you know, maybe, but, um, one or two, I think I maybe had a couple, but so, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. He, he ended up, you know, yeah. And then DC, I mean, in typical fashion though, like, I mean, I remember he came to the offices and I took him around like Jerry Maguire, like introducing him to all these editors, people that, and, and like everybody just brushed him off and you know, whatever, they're too busy doing stuff. He doesn't fit the, you know, the mold. He's a vertigo guy. There was a lot of like kind of inter mural fighting that went on between vertigo and the DCU. Like we were definitely seeing as the kind of, we were on a different floor. We didn't play by the same rules they did. We didn't, you know, we, we thought we were pretty hot shit. Like, so yeah, so there was a lot of animosity that's sort of between the divisions and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, and he came to New York and then Axel got a hold of him and lost them like an exclusive. And like, that was the last, that was it, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, Axel's a great recognizer of talent, you know, there's no question. So it sounds like, I mean, in, in pretty short order, I mean, if you're coming in and you said 99, you know, yeah. by, you know, did you become a, because you had an assistant by the time Jason's thing came in, that was what, two, three? I mean, I uh, think when the it other was, a little, was a little later. later than that because, yeah, so I came in, I started in fall of 99. I got promoted like the next year to associate. Uh-huh. Axel left. Tony Bedard, who was an editor at the DCU, took his place for like six months, which Tony was a great guy, but like not a good fit for Vertigo. Mm-hmm. And then he left in the spring of 2001. So I'd been there like 18 months. And he left to go to CrossGen because at that time mm-hmm. they were, that was that crazy thing in Florida where they were like recruiting everybody to go and like you had to move there to live there. And What's all that the kind quickest of stuff. way to waste a bunch of money? <laughs> They figured it out. Exactly. Yeah, that's what, you know, I think Warren Buffett has that joke about the best way to lose money on, you know, spy airline stocks, you know, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so, so, and they were really had left in a lurch, like, cause he was, he had taken, he was about to take over a hundred bullets and there was like no one left really to do it. And, um, Karen was struggling to figure out what to do with it. Cause at that point it was starting to really take off. It was like issue 17, 18, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like the next, it was just as like, I think it was right before why sort of hit, mm-hmm. but it was like wild creature was winding down. So there was a lot of interest in like, this could be that kind of, an, you know, it was very buzzy at the time, whatever, you know? So they didn't want to just like do anything dramatic with it. So, um, yeah. And so I ended up landing that job, like as the editor, and then like two weeks later, they sent me to San Diego. And that was the first time I'd been to a comic book convention that wasn't Ithacon, like in my, oh my whole God. life. <laughs> yeah, I'd never, I'd never, <laughs> ever, I'd never paid to go to a show. I never even thought about going to a show. I mean, I used to go to that show in Ithaca, but it was like, you know, in a gymnasium. With like that was my first show. And I am looking, where is it? On my wall, there is a sketch of Thor that Walt Simonson did for me. It would have been 97, <laughs> I think. And uh, yeah. I remember it was there was a snowstorm that mm-hmm. day, and uh, Ron Richards, my, oh, right. my uh, he, right. he got in a car crash. We were in the car with him at Ithaca on that big hill that goes up and around. Oh yeah, <laughs> and we right, left him. We left him, and we went down to the show without him because he had to do <laughs> with this crashed car. Oh my god! Yeah, but like, and you know, back then 
you know, it wasn't like a commission thing. They were just doing sketches or whatever. And, and sure. I remember, uh, Walt, I said, can you draw Thor, but can you, can you put the hammer in it? And he was like, ugh. And, but he did it, which is, if you've ever met Walt, like he's not a uh, yeah. person, but he did it. And yeah. then he kind of looked at it and he, sh- and he showed it to his wife and he's like, it's pretty good. And he was proud of it for a moment. And I was so, and I, t- wow. I have it right next to me. So yeah, That's that was amazing. my first con experience. So that, that helped. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah. Early on for me that like John Byrne came, this is like while he was doing X-Men because Jeez. he was friends with Roger Stern who was living in, local. yeah, in Ithaca around the area then. So he was sort of the local like big cat shot. So Byrne came to thing and then we went out and I love John Byrne's art. Don't get me wrong. Like he's like, I know yeah. people, mock, all my friends mock me, all my artist friends, whatever, but he, he's in my like Mount Rushmore comic book people. But he, he went to Pizza Hut afterwards after the show and he sat at the end of the thing, like holding court. And it was really not like a great experience like really even as like a young i mean i was like a teenager but like as a you know recognizing even then and this is like you know early 80s or whatever it was like yeah you maybe this isn't the way you're supposed to talk to like you know waitresses maybe this isn't the way you're supposed to you know like it was really like oh no you know like don't beat your heroes right so Mm -hmm. um but yeah so yeah it's like so i got the job and then Karen was like, you want to go to San Diego? And I was like, what's San Diego? And she was like, you're an idiot, you know? But yeah, so then they sent me and I was on the plane there. And and it's, I tell this sort of story, it's like a stupid gone with the wind kind of moment. But like, so the first day I get there, I have no idea, you know, all the DC people always stayed in the same hotel, the Hyatt. And I was just like, I had no, I mean, I knew people from the company, but I didn't know what went on. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Nobody made plans, whatever. So the very first morning, I got up and I went to the 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 bar, you know, the restaurant to have breakfast by myself, right? Which is, you know, I mean, fine, I don't care. I'm eating by myself, whatever. I'm from New York. I don't really give a shit. But then I start, I'm like, I'm by myself, like at this thing. Like, I don't think this is how it's supposed to be, you know? And then seeing all the people around, like other editors, meeting people, other people I work with, and everybody's kind of walking by and like giving you the sad, like head nod because you're sitting there by yourself eating breakfast, you know? <laughs> And I literally at that moment was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And I had like a whole, I had a notebook. I used to always carry around these little notebooks and fill them up with all kinds of crap and stuff. And, um, yeah, literally I had a list of here are all the people I need to talk to at the show. Here's all the people I need. So I would go around to like booths and tables and panels and wait for people to come off panels and stuff like that. Like, it's kind of funny to think about it now, but, um, I remember going up to like Rucka and he was just like, who are you? And like, what do you want from me? Like he was just annoyed that I was sort of like, you know, like coming up to his table, like, Oh, mm-hmm. Mr. Rucka, like, you know, would you ever want to write a, <laughs> but you were with vertigo. <laughs> I know it wasn't I, like, I wasn't, I know, but I, I wasn't, I mean, I literally had the job for like two weeks. Like I had uh, the editorial, like editor, real editor, right. like a business. I didn't have business cards. I was like writing my name on these like blank DC business cards and like writing my phone number on it and stuff. <laughs> and, and but I said at that thing, I was like, I'm never doing this again. Like I'm, you know, like I'm just gonna like I need to build like a matrix of pe- like a web of people, you were know, you, that like like uh, a crew essentially is what I said that I needed at that point. Were you a a networker? Like was that a thing that came easily to you? Because that was the part yeah. of it that like I you know like comics as introverts and extroverts and mm-hmm. and you know I think you you kind of got to be one or the other but as an editor i mean you you have to at least force yourself to do that but that that came okay to you yeah yeah and i say i think that's sort of like i was saying before i mean that was like one of the things that i think has still been my 
and it been my biggest strength is my ability to sort of to interpersonally deal with people, manage the different personalities, like understand what this person needs versus what that person needs, you know, cause every, they're all different. Right. But they're all a little crazy. It's like meaning freelancers. It's like, yeah. I mean, I always say this when, you know, I'd have assistants that complain about all oh, this person, they can't do this, they can't do that. Or I'd complain, you know, but I was always like, yeah, but if they were normal, like they couldn't do this job, like they wouldn't be good at it if they were just like you and me, like mm-hmm. they'd be accountants or something like they can't, but this is the fucked up part of their brain is the thing that also makes them able to write these amazing stories or draw this stuff or sit in a room for 20 hours in a row coloring a comic book. Like it, it, it's often the case. It's very rare that you find somebody that's good at like the kind of business side and the creative side or that kind of stuff. So, you know, for me, like that was the stuff that I was, I felt really good at, like being, getting people together, making people feel comfortable with each other, putting the teams together, like, managing the teams you know and for me it was a huge amount of it was building like not just picking writer a artist b a letter c it was like i want to build like crews like around all of these books you know and then and that was the thing and it was like so there's there's dinners there's hanging out there's lunches like there's hanging out late night there's like all these other Mm -hmm. things around it and i you know i used to like they, they used to goof on me like crazy for like staying out late and notoriously sort of being out all the time doing stuff. And I was like, you know, they'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You're supposed to be at the booth. You're supposed to be doing it. I'm like, I'm not going to do anything at the booth. Like nothing happens at the booth. Are you insane? Like I'm sitting here like nursing a hangover and telling people like where the bathroom is, you know, like I'm not, we're not coming up with stuff here. Like we're coming up with stuff after 10 hours of shooting the shit and hanging out and eating and feeling comfortable with it. It's a very intimate relationship. It's a very, you know, like they're showing you stuff that they don't want to show anybody. Like they don't want to show to their wife. They don't want to show it to their parents, their friends, their husband, you know, like you're pulling stuff out of these creators that like they're terrified to send to you, you know? So that's a fascinating like, re- way to look at it. It's because you get an, uh, you get an idea in your mind of uh, like, they, they can't wait to pepper you. You would think, I mean, I'm sure there was a group of people who couldn't wait to throw things at you and it was probably awful most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there, there is the group of people that want to just pitch and they want to hustle and they want to do all that stuff. And, and, you know, and that's, you need some of that for sure. But like, no, the actual hitting, the, I think the hardest thing any of them do is hitting send like on the email that's got the attachment of the script mm-hmm. because, you know you're the first reader essentially, right? Like I used to always say to myself, like I'm probably the first person that's read this besides them, like on planet earth. So it's like, you need to respect that in terms of, and that's the thing, a differentiator for someone like me who's an editor. And I think done a good job at, at, over the years, like I'm not a writer. So, and it's not as if I don't have good ideas or I don't contribute ideas or I don't feel like I could do it. I could probably do it. And it's not, I've started to do it at times. I was going to ask you because yeah, I mean, I've definitely totally dabbled in it. There's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's fairly common for editors to really try to get there to be on the road to somewhere else, but you didn't really do that. It was that not, I just tried a little bit, but that was that. Well, I mean, just, but only like, but I wouldn't even show it to anybody, you know, like I, you know, maybe I showed it to a couple people over the years, that kind of thing. Like, so the idea that you're able to actually take that next step to like, put it out into the world in some form, even to just another person is like, like that's a huge thing. And it's a very intimate relationship. And I think if you're really good at it and you work with people for a long time, 
you know, it's, it's hard. It's like, you, you know, it's definitely, I mean, you'd be surprised at the people, the established, you know, Brian Azzarello, Scott Snyder, whoever it is, like, there's still a moment when they send you that stuff where it's like, they want the feedback, like they want some response. Like you can't just put it on the shelf. And this is the mistake I think a lot of editors make. And I think a lot of editors, particularly when you're juggling, you know, 50 Batman books and all these kinds of things, like you're just trying to get it in and get it out. Right. But you don't, you need to stop for a moment and like acknowledge like what the person has done, what it took for them to do it. And, and, you know, you got to like, not just acknowledge receipt of it, but like actually, yeah, I read it, you know, here's my thoughts, whatever it is. And sometimes it might take a few days or sometimes, mm-hmm. it, you know, whatever, but it's like, I mean, you, you know, I always would just drill this into, you know, but again, this goes back to the kind of training, I guess. So Shelly would have these mantras, like if the only time you're getting in touch with a freelancer is when you're asking them for something that they owe you, well, then you're, you're failed. Like you're not, you're not doing a good job of, of um, managing your talent, you know, like you need to be in touch with them like regularly oh, second, you know, apart from just like, Oh, you blew this deadline. Where's my shit, you know, mm-hmm. because they'll start to tune that out, you know? And then the other thing was that, you know, just this business of um, acknowledging receipt of anything, whether it's a page of art, a page of colors, whatever it is. And this is sort of like, I'm going to read this. I'll get back to you with my thoughts about it, but thank you for sending it. I got it. You know, just because the worst thing in the world is sending stuff out and, like, did you get it? Did you not get it? Then they have to ask you. Yeah. It's like so awkward, you know? And then the third bit of advice that really stuck with me, which goes more to my own stuff is Axel said like very early on, I was like, if you're a frustrated writer and you're trying to do this job, well, then you're probably doing a disservice to the people that you work with. And he said like the day that a script comes in and you look at it and your first thought is, oh, I could write this or, oh, I could do better than this. Well, then you need to stop like being, you know, like weak and go out and do it because it takes like huge, you know, guts to do it. And so he he was always all about that, you know, just the business of, I mean, you know, which is, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of writers and editors over the, you know, the Archie Goodwins and Denny O'Neill's and people over the years that could go and do both, you know, in both directions and, you know, but, um, but I, I took that very seriously, like when, you know, just the business of like this, this is a job in and of itself. It's a cool job. It can be, a, it is a great job. You know, we're lucky to have them. I mean, there's more NBA basketball players in the world than there are comic book editors. I mean, it's a very mm-hmm. small set of people. So it's like, if you want to be really good, like here are some of the things that I feel like you need to sort of keep in mind. And so, I mean, I always, I mean, like short of having that like pinned on my board at my office, it was just like. You know, and that's, I mean, in the, maybe to my own detriment in terms of like doing anything of my own, like that's sort of the first thing I think of too is like, oh, geez, you know, like maybe I'm just dabbling in this, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it's stirred me mostly in good stead over the years in terms of, in terms of that, you know. You really, it's interesting because you are straddling two sort of eras in comics. Like you came in and like you said, you know, at the point, digital coloring wasn't a thing it was just done differently you know back then you would see lettering on the board i have a i have a transmetropolitan page from issue one it's on my wall and you know the lettering is on the board and now if you look at them you know if you look at a page now it's all done digitally on the computer it doesn't exist there anymore and mm-hmm. you sort of lived in both things in the same way that i always think like when i was at ithaca like we edited film 
with film yeah. and tape and yeah, right. cut it physically. And now uh-huh. that, that's not a thing that happens anymore. And so, you know, we, you know, in that way you have sort of, we lived in two eras. It was like the, the analog right. era into the digital era. And I'm thinking about the way that, you know, you would have to network to go to shows, you know, when you went to a show and now, you know, at some point social media and, you know, all this stuff comes along and it changes it completely. It, mm-hmm. Is it, are things differently different for you because of that? And is it, I'm, I, yeah, I, I think I it's mean, hard to say like this is better or worse, but how did yeah, that change work like for a, you? I think it's a combination. I mean, cause like, yeah, I was fortunate to be there. I was fortunate to be there for that stuff. Just, you know, I almost as a novelty, like a lot mm-hmm. of that stuff was really interesting and fun and it was so tactile. Mm-hmm. I mean, we literally would do lettering corrections like on the board and you could, we had drawers filled with, with Xerox copies of all the letters handwriting mm-hmm. so like you know todd klein or clem robbins or john workman like i had xerox copies of just random letters and stuff so like if you wanted to do lettering corrections like at the 11th hour like you would go in and cut out the letters glue them onto the board and then like you know take a roller and like roll them down and and yeah like we called it like ransom noting like the corrections you know but so it was like it i mean that was like that kind of stuff was really fun you know i mean like coming in and getting I mean, Eduardo Riso has a fax that I sent him when I took over 100 Bullets that was, he read it to me when I visited once, like, and they were mocking me for writing this thing. But it was literally like, dear Mr. Riso, like, <laughs> you don't know me, but I'm going to be the new editor of 100 Bullets, <laughs> you know? And he was just like, you know, and it was handwritten on this vertigo fax cover sheet. It looked like a, you know, Ted Kaczynski wrote it. Like, it was ridiculous, but... Um, yeah, so I mean, it was fun that you got that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I think I was telling somebody recently, Dave, the, the biggest, like Dave Johnson did all the 100 Bullets covers, mm-hmm. and I think like the, you know, one of the best cover artists the last 25 Absolutely. years or whatever. But the very first cover that I was meant to like work on with him, Brian came up with this idea, and he's like, oh, faxes to Dave. And I think, I don't know if it was a hazing or what, faxes to Dave, and it was like a stick figure drawing of something and all this other stuff you know, like do this cover, Dave. And I faxed it to Dave and Dave took it, wrote over the top of it. And I'm Sharpie and said, fuck this. I don't work like this. Get somebody else. If you, you know, this is the way this is going to (laughs) go. And and he faxed it back to me. So I came in and the next morning in the fax tray was this letter from Dave Johnson, like on my, like a little stick figure drawing basically telling me to like, go fuck myself, you know? (laughs) And that was the last time I ever tried to like, you know, art director something like that with dave you know so yeah but it was it, it was kind of funny way to you know we did all this business but yeah so it made it i mean i think it's better in a lot of ways now because there's no question it was very clubby you know and it was very fratty kind of you know and i think it, it i think a lot of the stories and the feelings that people had about this very close i mean the I had like these kind of crews of creators and we did a lot of cool stuff, but when, you know, looking back on it, like it wasn't very diverse. There weren't a lot of women there. You know, it was very, it was very kind of bro-y in its own way. I mean, we, I I don't know. I mean, it's like, I feel like we were nice to people. We tried to be open. I had a lot of, you know, there was a lot of interesting people and I've worked with a lot of great talent over the years and tried to break in different talent and stuff. But yeah, there's no question. It was a lot clubbier particularly given the fact like you're saying, I mean, you had to go to San Diego or you had to go to these shows, you know, like to kind of interact with people or you, I mean, literally you'd show up at the DC office and there'd be an artist like sitting in the lobby, like with their portfolio 
you know, all these, I mean, you talk to famous artists all for decades, you know, Howard Chaikin and anyone else, like they literally came to the office and sat like in the lobby and hoped that somebody would come by and you could show them their portfolio or something, you know, I mean, that, that definitely, that definitely was a thing that happened, you know, so, um, but yeah, so I think, I mean, I think that's the, the, that was probably the downside though, in the standpoint of like, you kind of ran in these fairly tight circles and, you know, people would introduce their friends or people that were often a lot like they were, you know? So right. I think it's gotten easier over the years. I mean, even at the tail end of my time at DC as like Instagram is starting and Facebook had been around a while then and stuff. I mean, we we're definitely finding more people off of there. I mean, I remember definitely reaching out to people like, like Tulalote and other people, like just seeing their stuff on like Instagram, you know, or on yeah. these new kind of platforms and just being like, Hey, this stuff is really cool. You know, I don't know what you're doing, but if you ever thought, you know, it's like you'd have to literally write these DMs that were, I know this seems kind of shady, but here's my, I mean, I would write these kind of emails or DMs to people like artists I'd seen on these sites and be like, you know, this seems kind of shady, but here's my, you know, here's my email, my work email. Here's my thing. If you want to send me an email, I'd love to talk to you about doing X, Y, or Z, you know, but yeah, I mean, so you I were aware of sort of the power it. that you had in, I mean, like they knew who you were, at least who you were representing at some point. Like you have to, that's a real, you know, and I don't mean power in a bad way, but you know, like you are representing a kind of professional step to people. Sure. But you know, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> no, I mean, but like, and, it, and you did, and it was easy to abuse that. And there were a lot of editors that did. I mean, there was a lot of editors that were just assholes. Like, and they just treated people like, garbage and i mean i saw some of it in terms of just the sort of you know the mean critiques or the mean stuff or you know that kind of things but um yeah but when and i was fine like you said when you're sitting at the dc booth and people come up to the table and they're pitching you or talking to you or showing their art like yeah that seems very legitimate but when you're like on twitter and you saw mm -hmm. somebody's cool you know cover that they did for themselves and then you dm them like it starts to feel a little shady. It doesn't seem too professional at that moment, you know, like if you're sort of that. So that was, you know, that was definitely like a, something like a learning curve on how to like approach those sorts of things. But I, yeah, I don't know. I was always a little bit like, Oh, you know, maybe you know who I am, but you didn't want to take it for granted either. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's not a, I mean, other than Neil Gaiman, there's not a comic book person on planet earth that would walk down the street that, somebody would recognize maybe right. Robert Kirkman now, you know, I mean, but <laughs> I don't know, you know, I mean, it's like, that's, I mean, which is cool. I mean, it's, I mean, I think that's, I mean, those are the rules that we, I always had was like, there's no such thing as a comic book emergency. Mm -hmm. These are my mantras that I would try to tell people. There's no such thing as a comic book emergency. So when people would come to you and start freaking out or this, you know, it's like, you want to hit the deadlines, you want the books to come out, but we don't, you know, like, let's keep a little perspective here. Like we're not in the ER, we're not, this isn't a cancer ward, like just calm down, you know, that was my big one. And then the second one was, there's no such thing as a comic book rock star, meaning like, don't start the shit up in here. Like act like you've been here before. Don't, you know, show out, don't trash people on the internet. I mean, I've definitely gotten, there's definitely people on my secret list of like people I'll never work with because just the way they act in public, you know, sure. like it's just, you know, you're just like, I'm not having it. Like I'm not doing it, you know? I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's definitely a thing, you know, that you just sort of feel like, like the, the biggest, I mean, 
like I said, I mean, who's the biggest stars in the industry and like the ever Jim Lee, Neil Gaiman, like, you know, do they get stopped in Times Square when they walk through? Like, no, I mean, maybe Neil does, but Jim doesn't. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you just sort of like, that's the business you're in here. So just like calm down a little bit, like, buddy, I, you know, <laughs> I will say that when we were doing our video show regularly, I was stopped once in Union Square and my mom was there and somebody asked for a picture. Whoa. It was the greatest moment of my life. That's amazing. I know. Good it was just you. this little like year and a half period where that happened. Another time it happened to the Grand Central Bathroom at 1 a.m. and that was worse. But <laughs> was, well, I know. those days That's are gone. <laughs> I've, been, I've, been, I've been pitched at the urinal at the Hyatt San Diego twice by people. That's, that's so unsurprising. And, and once at the D.C. Christmas party, no, the DC New York Comic Con party in the bathroom by established writer that, like, you know, like at the thing saying, like, oh, how come you don't like my stuff? You know, I have a lot of great ideas. And I was like, really? We're doing this here? This is what you, how you thought this was the way to go about this, you know? You know I, I yeah, have ideas other- in my head about the folks <laughs> who might do that. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know it's a short list, but the yeah, I mean, only other times the funniest. I was in in Philadelphia. Used to have a convention, which was pretty seedy, but you know, so was Philadelphia, and like it was always fun. Though the Wizard World, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and Jim. This is when I was working on Superman with Jim Lee, and Jim and I. Jim wanted to get Philly cheesesteaks, so I was like, all right, well, let's let's go to South Philly to like Geno's or Pat's, like the famous places. But it was way far from the convention center, so he's like, all right, let's just get car. They'll take us down there. We'll get a bunch of sandwiches and we'll bring them back to the booth or whoever, right? So we're standing in line at the Pats or Geno's. I can't remember which it was. They're like right across the street from each other. And and this kid, this Korean kid, stops Jim and says, "You're Jim Lee, right?" And he's and we're both like, "What the f?" You know? <laughs> and he and, and then we're like, "Oh, we're in." And he's like, "Yeah." And he starts talking to him and he's like, and we're like, "Oh, you're here for the show, right?" And he's like, "No, I, I just I live around the corner. I go to like you know Penn or whatever it was." And we're like, how the hell did you recognize him? And he's like, oh, he's the second most famous Korean in America. (laughs) We were like, who's the first? And the first was the kid who he was pitching for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And he had blown like two games in the 2001 World Series. I don't don't know how much you baseball, whatever. But he was, yeah, he was like this famously, like, like when the Yankees like two times in a row had come back, like from like insurmountable like late inning home runs that this kid had given he was this young pitcher from korea and he's like oh well he named this guy and jim was like yeah that makes sense (laughs) but it's still to this day like the only time i've seen that happen like away from you know walking the floor at new york comic con or san diego or something like it just i mean you can go two blocks into like the gaslight district in san diego and like you're not getting recognized, you know? So, right, right, right. You know, but, I mean, maybe now, like you said, I mean, maybe with, there's a lot more visibility of these creators and stuff, but... I don't know. You know, it's, that's amazing now that people are stopping you in I thought, the subway. I thought two things when you said that. I thought, well, that's not good for Koreans. And I thought, well, that's good for Jim Lee, though. It was too... <laughs> too high, too, because I was like, well, wait a minute. There must be... I was like, Margaret Cho... I don't know. <laughs> so, well, this is like 2002 or something. Right, different. So you yeah. got to keep that in mind. That makes you know? more sense. <laughs> it's pre-everything, basically. Yes. You know? <laughs> it, was a, it was a different world. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny to think about that. But. Now, all right. It's late. I think I've kept you for a while. But 
I think uh, maybe at some point we can we should continue this because I I don't want to just say, hey, let's talk about everything you did way a long time ago. But I think we were working mm-hmm. towards something. But uh, what do you say? Like sometime in the next six months, we'll go from from the end of her to go forward. Yeah, sound yeah, yeah. all right? It's been quite a yeah. It's been it's been quite a quite a ride here for the last we just six years now or something, right? Yeah, almost seven years. Uh, you know what? No, I actually was looking. I was looking up when, you know, you had left Vertigo and it was 13 and I thought, wow, that's a lot longer ago than I thought. Um, was just, it? I don't, yeah. I, don't I mean, that's it, what the was... articles were. Um, hmm. which cause it feels yeah. like it kind of just happened. Well, but. no, I think they closed the office. I, I want to say they closed the office in April, 2015. I'm, I'm mm. pretty certain about that. But yeah, I was the first person I think to announce that I was not announced, but like tell right. them that I wasn't going to go to LA and I remember like when they came and they were like, everybody, they told us right before Thanksgiving and they're like, we need your decisions, but before Christmas, you know, yeah. and they had this like all hands meeting and everybody was in, I went to lunch with a bunch of people and I was like, I'm out, I'm not going. And everybody was like, you gotta go. And I was like, I'm not going, I don't, I can't do it. You know? So, um, which, you know, I mean, it was sad because I laid out to them exactly, you know, I felt like what was going to happen. Like I had just seen Karen essentially shown the door and I'd seen, you know, the moves that they were moving people out there and, and Shelly was already moving out there and stuff. And, and I was like, look, I don't, this is what's going to happen. You're going to move out there. Something's going to happen. There's going to be another regime change. Then I'm like a 50 year old comic book guy who's making a shit ton of money to do comics, you know, relatively speaking like right. you know a lot of money to do comics and like what like i'm middle age i'm not like a cool young guy anymore but i'm also not cheap anymore so mm-hmm. it's like you know like the, i'll be the first head on the chopping block believe me and you know and it was just like i'm not moving my whole family and my whole life like all the way across the country to be in three years like showing the door and then i'm a middle-aged dude trying to what reinvent himself as a movie guy who's only I mean, been to in me, LA that's always for been, two years, you know? I mean, that's no. always been the most terrifying part, I think, of editing and comics as a career, because at a certain point, and you were at that point, you know, it, it, where are you going to go? You know, like, there's right. there's there's DC Vertigo, and there's Marvel, and everything after that's a step down, at least <clears throat> economically. Oh, yeah, you know, that's, for sure. That's, uh, that's terrifying. And, you know, you get to that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm the age where, you know, like, well, I can't I got kids. I got stuff. I have to. Sure. So yeah, it's a baller move. Terrifying to say I'm not going. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, I, so, I mean, I told my wife that then, and I've said it. I was like, I'll never make as much money as I'm making at this moment, you know. But like, I don't think that we want to go and do this, you know. So, and yeah, I mean, she was great, like super supportive, and like we just, you know. Yeah, it was just one of those things. And it took a while to get things going, but like I said, maybe the part two, we can... Yeah, let's pick up from can, there. We uh, can pick it up from there. That would be awesome. <laughs> it was super fun. Yeah, man. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this is great. You said it would go fast. It did go fast. Yeah, totally. We were, we were like an hour, and I went, we're not even going to get to anywhere here. But uh, I didn't want <laughs> to <Sorry>. stop. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's the way it should go. should feel <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a lovely conversation. Um, well, cool. Thanks so much. You have a great holiday. Yeah. You'll hear from me again. That, that's going to be how that works. Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. I'm, I'm game. And that is the end of what I think is part one. I, th- I think it's part one. I think we are going to come back 
and do more for the post-Vertigo years, because he's more than just Vertigo. Um, I, I, ho- I hope that was fun for you, because it's really fun for me. You can follow um, Will on uh, both Twitter and Instagram at Thrilloid. And, of course, you can go to iFanboy.com, where you can find all of the other podcasts we have done, thanks to the iFanboy patrons who have uh, let the talk explodes and books explodes and media explodes come back. And uh, all everything over at iFanboy.com is a ton of stuff that we have been doing for a very long time. So thank you much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.